Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. So often the things that we label misbehavior, it's all happening because a child is overloaded with emotion or they have some need that's not met and usually it's a need for a connection. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 329. Today, we're talking about resolving to be playful with Dr. Lawrence Cohen. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Hey, welcome back. I am so glad you're here. But listen, if you have not done so yet, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, do me a favor and go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It helps the podcast grow more and it will take about 30 seconds. And I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. This episode is the start of a series we're having about resolutions and some maybe some better things to resolve to do than stop eating chocolate or whatever you're going to do. And I'm so excited for you to join 
join me in this episode because today I am talking to the great Lawrence J. Cohen. He is a psychologist and author. His books, Playful Parenting and the Opposite of Worry, have been translated into 18 languages. He's also the co-author of The Art of Rough Housing, Best Friends, Worst Enemies, and Mom, They're Teasing Me. And we are going to talk about how we as parents need to lighten up, how rough housing is really good and can be great for kids, how to play board games with kids, and the importance of free play, among many other things. This is a really very powerful, valuable episode. I know you are going to love Lawrence, and his work has been super influential on me, and I love what he is doing. So without any further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Lawrence J. Cohen. Your book is in its 20-year anniversary. That's amazing. It yeah, is. my baby's all grown up. It is timeless. It's amazing. <laughs> Playful parenting has been so influential and in everything. So you're a psychologist. When you when you were writing Playful Parenting, were you, I mean, were you, you uh, my guess is that you must have been seeing a real rash of like the opposite of that, right? Like that's like, like, like really just trying to like serious controlling, um, lots of like intensive worry, that kind of stuff. Is that what you were seeing that sort of led you to that? Um, absolutely. I was seeing all that and feeling all that. Um, and, and it's all that's even more now. So oh, yeah, you think? Mm -hmm. I think that parents are even more anxious. But really the impetus for writing it is that when I was training as a psychologist, I felt like the message we got was these poor children with their terrible parents. Um, now, I don't, they would never have said that in those words, my professors, but that's, that's kind of the vibe I got. Um, when I was studying this, is these precious children. And unfortunately, they're with these horrible parents who messed them up. And we have to go in and rescue them. And given that attitude, I was not very effective working with children and families. And then I became a father. And I thought, oh, it's not, it's, uh, it's hard. It's actually very, very difficult. And I was not prepared for that. And the the you know children are wonderful and they are precious um and it is easy to kind of get it wrong um but parents aren't the the evil monsters and i think that as a society we haven't really shaken that you know that uh we see this all the time parents who don't do it like us are wrong mm -hmm. and um, one thing that I would just strongly encourage every parent to do is to stop giving dirty looks to other parents. Um, Amen to that. <laughs> because we all do it and we all, we all get the dirty looks and we feel horrible and we're either mad or we're embarrassed. And then we give the dirty looks, but we don't know their story and we don't know. Of course, we don't want them to yell at their children and hit their children and and we want to rush in and protect them and we feel helpless. And, and yet wouldn't a warm, compassionate look and a kind of a, yeah, I've been there and oh boy, it's hard. And is there anything I can do to help could probably be more effective than, than the dirty look. So 
I think that becoming a parent really helped me see that we're all in the same boat. We've got this job with, everybody says it's the most important job in the world. And yet- No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) And yet, if it was really such an important job, wouldn't we be paid and trained? (laughs) I mean- even jobs that are not seen by society as super important, people get paid for and they get trained for. So um, I can't do much about the getting paid for, <laughs> but I think that the, the getting some support, getting some resources so you don't feel overwhelmed and all alone uh, is really important. It's kind of like we're get, we have as parents, like we get have all the pressure of like, you know, your child's future mental health depends on what you do in these first three years. I remember thinking like all the things I read about the first three years and it just stressed me out so enormously. And, and, you know, and, and so we have all this pressure and, and, and it leads us to feel threatened, right? Like it to feel we, it, 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 we are under all this stress and that stress is a, is a threat to our system and it's a threat to our child's well-being and all of that. It goes against what you teach in playful parenting, which is about like loosening up and, and, and what, what we work on in mindful parenting, right. Which is like relaxing that stress response, like being a little less like tight and holding on to every little second and and judging ourselves, et cetera. Right. So, so that's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for us to get to how to, right. And I think it was, well, yeah, I mean, it was well-meaning advice to pay attention to those first few years and to see that childhood is actually very important developmentally. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, like you said, it came along with this big pressure and this big anxiety. And and, um, and I think you hit the nail on the head that children pick up all of our anxiety and fear. Yeah. 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 It's it. And I, I love what you write about in playful parenting, because it's like, you know, to, well, it's interesting because there's a lot of things that go along with playful parenting. Like when we are, approach it from this idea of like kind of getting it right, mm-hmm. you know, I want to get it right and get it perfect. We can kind of add this, we can put this stress and pressure into situations, but you're advocating for parents to loosen up a little bit. I mean, so tell us, a, I mean, tell well, us, I, give us a little yeah. bit of like kind of the basic rundown maybe yeah. of what, yeah. what it's all about first. I think that um, the essence is the starting with connection. If we put connection first and we keep connection, connection as the highest priority, then everything flows from that. And when we're in a state of, of high alert and high intensity and fight and flight, we don't connect well because that's not what our nervous system is getting us to do when we're in that state. And when we relax, when we engage, when we see the child and we think about, oh, what's going on with them and how can I get closer? Then this puts us in a, our nervous system in a state where we can connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two best ways that I know to connect with children, uh, the first is play, because that's their 
natural language or natural world. And the other is emotional understanding. And that's also their natural language. You know, the babies are born with their emotional system completely intact in a big empty space where language is going to fill. So language Mm -hmm. comes in later um, and under stress, under high intensity, even high excitement and joy, language takes a back seat Mm -hmm. or disappears and emotion is in the forefront. So I don't just mean what we call bad emotions or painful emotions, just any emotions. So we connect best with children if we get on the floor and play with them and if we notice what they're feeling and engage with them in that heart-to-heart, feeling-to-feeling way. I love this because you're describing in a lot of ways what mindfulness is all about, like that idea of moving away from the storyline, the verbal chatter, Mm -hmm. and touching into what's happening in my body. What is, what are the sensations I'm feeling? What are the emotions I'm feeling? What am I observing? You know, and being less in that cognitive uh, cerebral space, that head space, and more into that heart space, that body space, that, you know, observation space. And that's exactly what you're describing right there. Right. And I think we go so quickly and automatically to this is bad. You have to stop what you're doing. So the child Mm -hmm. has to change. The child has to stop. We're not even aware of our feeling. We might not even be aware that we're angry. We're just aware the child is doing wrong and has to be corrected. And if we can slow that down and say, oh, what am I feeling? I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. Okay, how can I take care of my feeling? Because that's actually my job and not my child's job. Mm -hmm. And we do that tuning in to ourselves. What am I feeling in my body? And is this a feeling I want to run with? Is this a feeling I want to let go of? And then, and only then, turn to the child and see, okay, what do I need to do? And then the question is not stop doing it. It's, okay, now what are you feeling? I've tuned into what I'm feeling. Now, can I see what you're feeling? I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? 
this is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And so often the things that we label misbehavior, it's all happening because a child is overloaded with emotion. Or they have some need that's not met, and usually it's a need for a connection. Yeah. I mean, if a child's nervous system is in a stress response, it's fight, flight, or freeze, right? And it's like, so you're fighting verbally or physically, (laughs) you know, running away, you know, psychologically or or physically and freeze. Uh, I got very perplexed by my child who freezes. (laughs) It's very confounding for me for a long time. And then I was like, oh, she's in freeze. Oh, this is driving me bananas. (laughs) Exactly. And all the usual stuff we do, logic and um, language and and, um, threatening. And then, uh, yeah, threats and upping the intensity, all that's going to increase the freeze or increase the fighting. And then we get madder and, yeah. 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 And and it just, it takes that moment of awareness and stepping out, stepping off of that cycle. And, you know, it's maybe it's a runaway train, but you can hop off the train and, and oh wait a minute oh okay you're yeah. upset i'm upset let's take a deep breath let's connect let's see yeah yeah so all kind of coming back to the connection i really love that too because it's like the idea of kind of stepping out of the role what you're pointing to is this is like a relationship or a relationship with your child is like every other relationship. You have to like see that person individually and in this particular moment, not um, the layer of all the labels and all the different things we're putting upon that child, the, this one, the, that one, they've always been like this, you know, and, and get out of that kind of like the role of I am mom, I am dad, I am the parent, control this situation and just kind of dropping into this like, oh, I'm me, you're you, let's really be real here. And that's like, that's where that connection really happens. Exactly. And the things we really want, we want children to cooperate. We want them to embrace our values. Well, this happens when we have a warm connection. It doesn't ever happen through uh, threats and violence and I'll teach you a lesson and you've got to learn the consequences of your actions. It's, this is not where a strong moral center comes from. It's not where a desire to cooperate and contribute comes from. That all comes from the warmth and closeness in the relationship. I want to be like you. I want to be with you. I want to help you. 
um, because we're just uh, warm fuzzy. And the warm fuzzy doesn't mean everything's always happy. And I think sometimes this gets confusing that um, sure, you can connect with laughter, but when your child is sad, you can connect just as deeply, maybe more deeply by being with them when they're sad, not desperately trying to cheer them up, um, not telling them, well, it's your fault, you should have known better, but just saying, oh yeah, that's really hard. Oh yeah. Mm. You wish that had happened differently. Mm. I'm so glad you mentioned that because you know, the idea of being playful sometimes is like, oh, you know, people think I have to put a playful face on everything. Right. And, and that's, that's not true. You may not be in a particularly playful mood. And if you start to like make a joke, your child's going to be like, Ooh, BS meter, just like right. on the charts, you know, right. and not, it's not going to land. Yeah. And I think you can <laughs> make a joke as long as you acknowledge the truth and the reality. And so if you're pretending everything's fine, oh, my sweet little child. Um, um, I had this friend who would always, whenever she was uh, angry or frustrated with her uh, children, she would say, sweetie. And there was this voice and it's like, sweet. so now this becomes like this uh, high alert word. It's like a code <laughs> word for you're in trouble, sweetie. <coughs> But you can say, I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, you know, the volcano's getting close to erupting here. And so you're being truthful about your feeling, but you've got a light, uh, this is a little lightness about it mm. so that you're honest because children, like you said, read right through emotional dishonesty mm -hmm. and it confuses them. Mm -hmm. um, but you can be honest. I call it being honest about your emotions with the volume turned down. Mm, so you I can like turn that. down the volume by saying, I'm a little bit angry. Because you, you don't have to say, I'm going to kill you. Now, that's not helpful. <laughs> uh, but you also don't have to say, oh, I can't say I feel like killing you. So I better say, oh, sweetheart. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So you don't have to go all the way to pretending. So instead we go to, ooh, I'm getting a little bit angry. Yeah, yeah, we can be uh, and honest about it. It's our feeling, and so we can go take care of it. So it's like, it's like, oh, I'm starting to get a little hot. I'm going to go splash some cold water on my face. And then you come back and say, oh boy, I splashed cold water on my face, and I talked to myself in the mirror a little bit, and I feel better. So I think often children see us in a bad state or, you know, really angry or out of control. And then we recover, which is great, but it's a big mystery. And then it's like somebody coming here and replacing my mom and dad with, you know, a different one and then the old one back. And so it's really great role modeling to say, I'm going to go take care of this feeling. And then you do, and you come back um, and you say what you did. Yeah. And they've, they realize, oh, this is the same person. Emotions come and go in people. And, oh, there's things you can do when you're completely overloaded and you're up at 10, or, you know, or up to 11, <laughs> or whatever emotion that is. It's not the end of the world. I don't have to just freeze. I don't have to lash out. Yeah, yeah, the middle path of going through it. And that, uh, you're right, like that modeling, like they don't need us to be like perfect, happy 
perfectly right. happy, calm people constantly. They actually need us to do that kind of thing. So, you know, they need yeah. us to get angry and then see how we take care of it. They need right. us to get all have, you know, to watch all that stuff. Right. Like that's, right. that's necessary. Right. Right. So, so playful parenting is all about that connecting, which I love. Mm. And, um, and you have a number of great chapters. I tell people, um, you know, and, and like, I, and I love the ideas cause we get like, we get so caught up and like, I want to do it right. I want to do, I want to just like, and so we we're too, you know, we're in this kind of like tighter constricted place. And so it helps to have some ideas to think about how to be playful. Yeah. I mean, I think that was that's that's one of the just brilliant ways is that you just offer these ideas. And one of the things you talk about is um, learning to roughhouse, which I think is so yeah. funny because we tend to be so uh, like just I don't know. We want to teach our kids to emotionally regulate. We want them to be calm and things like that. So it it can be very uh, right. very just not going in that sort of energetic space. But I love right. this. I love the roughhousing, and I and I know often like mindful mindful mama listeners or mindful parenting people may be kind of surprised by this piece. Yeah. So I'd love to talk if you could talk about that first. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So calm is a great goal, but we can't always get from overloaded, bouncing off the walls um, to calm. Um, and we also, I think, you know, we, we crave calm because we have this chaotic inner world in our heads and we have this chaotic world that we live in. And yet a world that's entirely calm every minute would be kind of boring. Yes. So I think the road to calm, an unexpected surprising road to calm is through roughhousing and high activity energetic play. And also life is more fun when there's this kind of high intensity energetic play. Um, so I want to share a few simple games to, that might help people get started if they're nervous about it. Um, because a lot of parents feel like, oh no, this is dangerous or it gets out of control or I don't like it, it's violent. Um, so first of all, I think of a good roughhousing is more like dancing than like fighting. So um, even if you're play fighting, it's more like dancing because you're really tuned into one another. Mm. If you're pillow fighting, if you're wrestling, it will go very well if you really tune into your child and you match their energy. And so you're not, if they're in a quieter, softer spot, you're not pounding them. If they're really want to go all out, you're not saying, oh, just, why don't you just tap me with the pillow as light as you can? You know, you've got to match them and find their energy and match them. Um, if play fighting is too hard for you to start, um, then there's a game called the sock game that I really love which is um, you can play with two people, but the more you have, the better, like up to four or five people. You have your socks on and your shoes off and you all sit on the floor um, and the feet in the middle um, and one, two, three, go. And you try to get everyone else's socks off while keeping your own socks on. So everybody's <laughs> pulling each other's socks off and trying to hold their own socks on. And 
Um, it's just, it's impossible to do this without laughing and laughing and laughing. Um, uh, another great game that's not like fighting is, uh, it's called pushing hands. And, um, you start out, it's called, there's a part called force field hands. So you have your two hands out and the child has their two hands out and they're almost touching and your hands are almost touching their hands like about a half an inch apart. And you notice what you feel. Mm. Now, some children will skip this step because it's just too exciting and they want to start pushing your hands, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if they're into it, then you notice, and it's often warm or tingly. And that's the force field or the energy field between you. Mm. And then that's cool. And that really, uh, really helps this tuning in process, which is such an important part of connection. And then you push the other person back and forth. You push each other using just the energy field between you. Huh. It's kind of an amazing feeling. And then the next step, you press your hands together and you push harder and harder, but you match each other's push exactly. You mm -hmm. match the force. And so I'm pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I'm not going anywhere because I'm pushing exactly the same on both <laughs> sides. Um, and this is a cool feeling. And then if you want, you can add in a little element of competition where then you try to push the other person out of the room or out of a circle. Um, and so you kind of go step-by-step step through that. And That's so, so fun. I love that. Like the combination of those two would be like mm -hmm. when my brother and I were little, we used to like lie on opposite sides of the couch and mm -hmm have our feet meet in the middle Oh yeah, and yeah. see who could like straighten their legs. Exactly. That's a great game. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah. And I think that when we do this, when, when children do it with each other, it can either go well or it cannot go well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's great when it goes well, when children do it with each other, but sometimes one is stronger and doesn't hold back and, and it can get out of hand. So it's great for parents to do this with children because we can hold back our bigger strength and let children win, let them conquer us. And this really helps them develop that moral sense that we take care of people who are smaller than us, that we don't uh, go all out. Um, mm. Hmm. Do, you, do you recommend that we let kids win in games? Because I really, at least in board games, I had a hard time. I was yeah. like, I'm going to let my child win. I want to like yeah. win this Candyland. Yeah. <laughs> I think I don't say let them win. What I say is it's okay to let them win. It's some parents are afraid of this. This is, oh, their peers are not going to let them win. It's like, right. Their peers probably won't. So let them build confidence at home if that's what they need. And I think if we really tune into children, they'll give us signals of whether they need to win at home to build up confidence or whether they're ready for that kind of challenge. Mm. So when I remember when I taught my daughter to play ping pong, um, at first it was just too discouraging and I would let her win a bunch of points and um, just to build up her confidence. And at some point, just so she wouldn't quit. And then at one point she said, are you trying your hardest? Ooh. And I said, do you want me to try my hardest? And she said, how about half your hardest? Oh. And so this is a signal that she wanted to shift. She had gotten all the goodies from um, 
being allowed to win. And then she wanted to see, okay, how good am I really? Mm-hmm. But she wasn't ready to go all the way. She wanted to go halfway, which is not easy to do. Um, <laughs> but I think children will give you the signal. So if children cheat at games, this is not a moral failure. This is not a time to panic that your child is a sociopath and is going to end up in prison. This is just a signal that their need to win in this moment is more powerful than their need to for fairness and um, Mm. all that stuff. And so when children cheat at games, what I do is say, Oh my goodness, I can't believe that. I can't, I just thought you were over here and here you are (laughs) over there. And I do it with a big smile. So I let them know they're busted, but (laughs) it's okay. And if these are the rules they want to play, then these are the rules they want to play. And that's fine. And with, I remember with my daughter playing Monopoly, sometimes I would say, do you want to play the regular rules that are on the box or do you want to play Emma rules, but Monopoly, you know, and sometimes you'd say, let's play the real rules. And sometimes you say, Oh, Emma rules, you know, and then Emma rules is like, Oh, I landed here. I get $500 extra. It's like, Oh, okay. Um, and so it's really about the child's need. And often we get hung up on what the child needs is to be toughened up to be prepared for the cold, cruel world. Well, I, I don't think that that's what children need. Children need connection and confidence, and they need to know they have a safe home base, safe place to uh, come home to, and a person who always has their back. And, you know, to say it's not fair to let them win, well, it's not fair. I mean, uh, you know, I've been playing Monopoly for you know, 30 years at that point, you know? And so is that fair to play by the regular rules against somebody who's played it twice, you know? So. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. That's true. And my my husband, uh, he likes to play Go, which is this Chinese uh, uh. game with these tiles. He's really, really good at it. And yeah. um, But it's an accepted practice in Go that if you're playing against somebody who has less experience than you, you put some of their stones down on the board already. It, like it's a mm. built-in handicap system. Yeah. So um, <coughs> just that's a, great. As a point to, <laughs> towards exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. Because what's the goal is not to humiliate people, right? The goal is to learn. The goal is to get better. The goal is to uh, have fun. Connect, right? Have fun. Right. Right. I love that. This idea of kind of prioritizing this a safe harbor like this just making your home kind of that um that safe place from which to go out in the world and kind of thinking about meeting your child's needs in that that space and and games can be a way to do that um i don't i i I might have missed the boat (laughs) we're not games (laughs) that's okay um we did play I, i think it was you to kind of go back to roughhousing I think it was in playful parenting that you recommended like try to like get past me or something yeah, like that yeah. as a game to, yeah. to, uh, cuz we did some of that talk to me about that cuz we had a good time playing try to get past me. Well this is a fun game because it really activates children's problem solving and also their physical strength. And so you stand in front of a, like you can do it in front of a chair or a couch and uh, you can't get past me. Um, and you're trying, the child's trying to get past you to the couch behind you. And often at, at first children will use tricks. So they'll say, look over there and they'll go around you. Um, and I like to really exaggerate this and ham this up. And it's like, oh, you went around me. I'll lean over this way. And then of course they go around that way. And then it's like, oh, um, you'll never get, I'll have to cross her both sides. So I spread my arms and legs wide. And then of course they crawl underneath, um, And we, just like we were saying before about the board games, you want them to work for it, but that you want them to have that sense of pride and accomplishment by outsmarting you. And then after a while, I like to say, no more tricks. You're going to have to really use your strength to get past me. And um, for a lot of children, they really need more practice using their full strength. And uh, girls need this because they're told so much to be nice and to be cute and to be pretty and, and they're not told to be strong. Boys often need this because um, they have been taught to, um, to be violent, right? All these images of male violence that are all around us. And so using, so I always tell boys or, or sometimes girls too, who hit, if, he, if they hit, then it's no hitting, just pushing. It's a very different emotional and physical experience to push someone out of the way than Mm. to hit them. And so you have to tackle me, you have to push me. 
um, but no hitting. Mm -hmm. um, and so then they have to use their physical strength to get you out of the way. And if children are more timid or they're new to this, then the littlest touch and I fly over and fall over. Mm. <laughs> and then they have to work harder and that touch doesn't do it. They have to push harder and then they have to push really hard and then they have to use all their strength, but eventually they get me. Mm. As children get older, there's a game that I really love to help children with whatever they're struggling with. You know, and most children have something that they're struggling with. Um, and that is to use the word tackle, the, the pun on the word tackle, because we tackle a person like in football, and mm. we tackle a problem. Mm. It's a thorny problem. We tackle it. So I'll say, I'm the math problem. You have okay. to tackle me. And I was like, you'll never get me. You'll never get me. I'm the big math problem. And then they have to use all their strength to tackle me and get me to the ground. And then they feel so powerful. Or I'm the school bully or I'm anxiety. Oh, yeah. I'm your anxiety. I make you worry. I make you nervous. Ah, you're weaker than me. And you want to activate that inner strength and then they tackle you. And then the roughhousing is joyful in itself. And it also has this deep healing property of symbolically representing their um, overcoming an obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. As you do it physically, you know, it's like your body enacts this thing. That's really, that's really beautiful. Yes. So, so parents don't be afraid of roughhousing. It's, right. it's good for kids to roughhouse and they need it it's and they need to they need experience like safe, safe roughhousing, right? I mean, like safe yeah. wrestling, safe, like knowing that not all physical contact is I mean, I, I guess, you know, exactly. as, as children get older, they, what is the message that physical contact is either sexual or violent. And I think our boys and girls need to know that there's a whole range of physical contact. That's not sexual and it's not violent, that it's playful. It's affectionate. It's fun. It's, you know, our bodies are for all kinds of things. I think that sometimes at schools you see this where there's been some um, too much pushing and shoving and kids hurting each other. So they make a rule that children can't touch each other, period. And this is a terrible response. It's a real problem, but the real response to the problem is how do we learn playful ways to connect with each other and how do we stop being violent? Not uh, how do we just never touch one another. Mm -hmm. mm. So what's your stance on tickling, Lawrence? I, my dad uh, was tickling. a oh, God, yes, that. <laughs> Well, I think that, tick. well, there's some dip, we've got to get our terms straight. So <laughs> if we're talking about a quick little poke, like, like where you barely touch the child or don't even touch the child, or it's a very, very tiny touch. Oh, oh, I love that. I'm not tickling you. I'm not yeah, tickling, I'm not tickling you. you. <laughs> then I think this is great. It gets a lot of laughter. It's great connection. You're really tuned in. Holding children down and tickling them, poking them really hard in the ribs and forcing that laughter. This overwhelms the nervous system. 
It's really not good. It seems connecting because the child's laughing, but the child's inner experience is out of control. And my body's betraying me because I want to be saying stop. And often, in fact, children are saying stop, but the adults ignore it because of the laughter. Mm. So they listen to the laughter, which means keep going. They don't listen to the word stop, but we have to reverse that. And whenever a child says stop doing something, you know, we stop. Yes. Um, And even if they're not saying stop, then that holding down and um, that out of control feeling is not helpful, not healthy. It's, I often see kids who have trouble regulating, and then I see a lot of tickling when the parents do play. And then the children don't say, don't do this, or I don't want to play because they crave the contact. And if mm. this is the only way the parents know how to be playful, then the children are going to say, let's tickle, let's tickle, let's tickle, because they really want that playful contact. Mm. But they will want it even more if you do the pretend tickling like you were describing. Uh, here I come. Ah, and you don't actually touch them. Uh, because then your nervous system is, is not overwhelmed. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a hard one because, you know, it's kind of many people's go-to for, yeah, let's get this playfulness revved up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, let's find other ways to get that laughter revved up. So what about like things that parents aren't usually that into? Like when oh, the yeah. child wants you to like play pretend and you're like, oh my goodness, I oh, just yeah. cannot I just, get into this. I just spent a, an hour doing this with my granddaughter this morning and it's not my favorite. An hour. Wow. And <laughs> ways to, to do this. Um, I mean, ways to spend my time. So I think I couldn't do an hour when I was a parent of a young child. So, you know, being a grandparent is a whole different story, but um, I, I think setting the timer mm-hmm. and set the timer for 10 minutes and do this game you hate enthusiastically for 10 minutes. And you might even find that when the timer goes up, you don't want to stop because your enthusiasm actually changes the experience your experience of it Mm -hmm. um you can also i i had a lot of success with this which is i'd spend time in a really silly goofy way um complaining and moaning and whining about doing this like oh not ariel the little mermaid again please please can we play anything else (laughs) we're playing ariel the little mermaid okay fine can I be somebody who sleeps here in the corner part of the game? No, you have to play. You have to be Prince Eric. I'm like, okay, so I've I've gotten my true feelings kind of out onto the table, but in a funny way. That's part of the game. Um, so I think we just give ourselves a gentle push to play these games we hate, and the purpose is not because we love these games the purpose is for connection and we don't get to decide what counts as connection for our children so this is a really uh, very key point that our job is to remember the importance of connection but not to say this is the only way we're going to connect we're going to connect by sitting at the table and having a conversation well that might not be the child's way to connect Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I say in mindful parenting is set a timer for 10 minutes yeah. <laughs> because it's like, that's just, it's long enough for a child and short enough for an adult that you're not yeah. going to like go bonkers. Um, and, and it is, it's like putting that, it's that connection. I, I love the mm. analogy of the relationship bank account. You know, you're putting those yeah. deposits in your relationship bank account and you can bring this added the attitude of kindness and curiosity, like yeah. to this moment, you know, like you can bring that, the, all that mindfulness to this moment. So, right. so I suffered through those moments of <laughs> candy land, um, yeah. <laughs> uh with, they they were doing some good i suppose <laughs> yeah. yeah when do we want to like um when do we want to kind of step in and if we like what are some signs if we're seeing like is there a way that play can kind of go bad or go wrong i mean i guess between mm-hmm. siblings right we're kind of we can see that but Sure. I, I think that um, uh, short breaks are really the solution mm. to, um, and, and it's kind of being tuned in to the timing. So with roughhousing, some people experience roughhousing gets out of control. So they don't want to do it anymore. Instead of banning it, what I recommend is every minute or two, you say freeze. Okay, go. So you're pillow fighting or you're fake wrestling um, or you're running around and freeze. Okay, go. And the freeze is very short. And even if the children don't freeze, it doesn't matter. You freeze in a funny position and they'll notice that. And then um, you, instead of rev, 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 rev up, it's rev up, cool down, rev up, cool down, rev up, cool mm-hmm. down. Um, and so it doesn't get out of control as easily. Um so, and you can do this about um, with children playing. So children, friends or siblings. Um, if you start paying attention, you'll notice that, oh, it goes great for an hour and a half and then boom. It's often very consistent if it, with the same playmates, whether it's Play fatigue has hit. <laughs> yeah, so with some pairs, it's 10 minutes, right? <laughs> And so you, 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 if you notice this, then if it's 10 minutes, then at seven minutes, you go in and say, who needs a, who needs a snack? Um, and you, then you reset the clock. If it's an hour and a half, then it's like, okay, let's have play dates be an hour with this pair. Um, and um, so you can just be tuned in to the time and not have to make this drastic thing and say, Oh, it always ends up in fighting. You know, this is terrible. Um, so we we can step in, but uh, to step in lightly. So those are ways to step in preventatively. You go before. That's always better if you can prevent it. If it's if you've missed that and you've got conflict, then the metaphor I like is to be the sun. When children are fighting, they will invite you to be the referee or the judge but they don't actually want a referee or judge, but they will pull you into that position and you might come running in and you might want to uh, really like that position. Oh, take turns. Oh, do this. Oh, who started it? Um, but it's very rare to everybody feel happy at the end when you've been the judge or the referee. 
And so, when you've been told what to do, you yeah. no one ever loves that either. Yeah. And so instead you come in and you're the son. Oh, look at everyone. Oh, look at these precious children having such a big fight. And oh, there's only one of these toys and you both want it. Oh, I think I'm going to take it. Oh, no wonder you fight over it. It's so wonderful. Even the two of you cooperating together can't get it away from me. Um, so you've got this lightness and now you've invited the, the hostility to come at you in a playful way instead of at each other in a real way. Mm. Um, and so you just the sun, you, it doesn't matter who started it. doesn't matter um, who punched who. I mean, at one level, of course, it's different to get punched than to punch. But at another level, both these children are suffering. A child who punches and a child who gets punched are both suffering. They both need love. They both need a reset, a connection. They both need to know that you care about them. And so some of us have a real bias towards, I got to rush in and protect the younger one. Or I've got to comfort the one who's crying and give a dirty look to the one. Um, who made the other one cry. But uh, siblings and friendship stuff is much more complex than that. Mm. And so would they just all need, they, all these children need our love and respect and warmth. I don't know what I hear you talking about sort of underneath this is this stance of like holding it lightly, you know, this idea, I mean, kind of circling back, I suppose, to the beginning of sort of holding... Yeah holding things a little bit more lightly. And that, that requires us to kind of change, shift our, our frame, yeah. our lenses ourselves yeah. to kind of holding things lightly. Oh my gosh. There's some, I want to hear, like, <laughs> I want you to tell me about like every single play game that you've ever written about, but I know we don't have time for that, but I just think it might be helpful. And I realized that um, maybe we should have talked about this in the beginning, but I would like to just kind of circle back to kind of what some of the things that underscore this and that, that is, um, you know, the importance of free play, like where our kids are often, you know, we've got three-year-olds going to soccer camps and five-year-olds going to soccer camps and we're getting them into organized sports when they're really little. Right. And what I advocate is, like letting the little ones have more free play. And as the, as they get older, my girls are 11, 14. Now I want them in some organized activities now because that's what they need, you know? But so can you, I know this is kind of like, was supposed to be at the beginning of our conversation, I suppose, but could we maybe talk about this sort of, sort of towards the end, why this is so important? Yeah. There's really been a, a disappearance of free play and it's, it's really crucial. So children's self-directed play is very powerful because they, uh, this is how they're um, learning to make decisions and make, have goals and follow through with their goals. We want them to have that, but we do that by telling them their goals and telling them they have to follow through and punishing them if they don't. That's not the way to learn it. The way to learn it is to have a goal in play and to achieve it. And if you don't achieve it, you go back to it. Children who have lots of free play, they do more and more complex things in their play and they set themselves their own uh, challenges and problems. And with some children it's building things and with some it's exploring and with some it's pretend and dramatic play and, and figuring out social things. So 
We, they need that opportunity. We want them to focus. We want children to focus. And what do we do? We, we say, don't do what you're doing. Do this instead. So we're undermining focus. Um, and we want children to get along with each other. And unfortunately for us, in order to learn to get along, children need to argue. And this is one of the biggest reasons to not put young children into organized sports, like you were saying, is that children on the playground doing free play will argue about the rules of games. And they'll argue, they'll argue about the rules, they'll argue about who's in, who's out. Um, I tagged you, no, you didn't. And adults hate this argument. Adults want to come in and, and just say, no, you didn't hit him, that's it. Um, and, but this deprives children of crucial problem-solving skill development. It, it robs them of moral development. So this is, mm. we've known this over 100 years because Piaget observed this in Switzerland on playgrounds over 100 years ago, that children's moral development is rooted in this uh, playground discussions and arguments. And when everything is an adult referee and an adult coach and adult decisions and stop arguing, sit down, the, the ref told you you were out, you're out, um, this deprives children of something really, really crucial. And it also deprives them of this joy that comes from being more self-directed. And I think that you're right that at some point, and I don't know exactly what age it is, but I think it's later than most people um, are doing it. Then it's okay. I want something with more structure. I want to have the team. I want to have the rules. I want to have the coach. I want to have um, this external structure, um, but still need the free play. Mm. So I'll give one more plug for free play. And that is um, there was this fascinating study um, there was a group of young children and they were given an instrument. I think it was a violin, but I'm not, I'm not remembering the details too well, but the essence was one group was given the instruments and they were told, okay, don't touch it yet. I have to show you the right way to do it. And the teacher gives all the instructions of the right way to do it. Um, and then they do it. And the second group it's here, do this Hold, yeah, here it is. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. And they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff with it. And then they learn the, what's, you know, the proper way to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's the second group that ends up more proficient. Mm. They actually end up doing it better because they had that opportunity of free discovery that, that it's this a different brain currents that are happening when you're in free play, when you're doing that kind of discovery and you have a joy um, and you have a deeper learning. And so it really goes the opposite to what many of us think, which is that uh, the more instruction, the better. Mm, I love it. I love it. We're, we're, we're turning off. Like I, I, I feel, I'm like hearing like the want, want, want Charlie Brown parents being shut down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. So there's so much in playful parenting that dear listener that, you know, you have to uh, check it out because we hardly got to 
touch on everything at all by long way. There's ways to be playful with discipline and with siblings and and I love your suggestion to be like a bumbling idiot sometimes. <laughs> and just being like, how do we get out of the park? Oh, is this how we get out? And you bump into a tree. <laughs> I mean, there's so many wonderful, wonderful suggestions in your book. I I bet you must you must be a fun grandparent. I, I wish you were my. <laughs> I'm pretty fun. I get grumpy sometimes, but I'm pretty fun. <laughs> but I imagine, you know, just, I guess, looking back, I guess that's my final kind of question. Now you're a grandparent, your kids have kids. You wrote Playful Parenting. You must have practiced it a bit at home, even if you were as yeah. perfectly imperfect as we always are, the things that we teach. Um, you know, have your kids ever talked about it? Or what? I mean, were things pretty, pretty fun? Tell, tell me what, give, give me a little bit of the bigger <laughs> picture here. <laughs> yeah. Well, my daughter used to say kind of half jokingly, like you never had time to play with me because you were busy writing playful parenting. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, they always find the way to just <laughs> you right there. Right. Um, but she said something very interesting when she went to college, she came back um, for Thanksgiving her first year in college and she said, why did you, um, why couldn't you just punish me? Because I was like, what? <laughs> she, she was talking with the other girls in her dorm and um, they were talking about, you know, being how they were parented. And she said, we had to have these meetings on the couch and we had to talk about things. And, you know, my friends, they just got punished and it was it, you know, and then they got their phone taken away and then they'd get it back and they never had to think about what they did. <laughs> And, you know, she was joking, but it was really interesting. It's like, because so many people would think that this is soft if you don't punish children, Mm. that you're too soft. And then the fact is that with the punishment, it goes in one ear and out the other. And she's letting me know that, you know, when we would talk about it and the focus is on reconnection when something has happened, then it goes in deep and you really have to think about it. And it's actually more work that way. But this is the important moral work of growing up. Um, And um, yeah, I think with my, um, with my stepson, I met him when I was, when he was 10 and we really connected over wrestling and he was not pulling any punches um because he was checking me out and testing me out um so his mom my wife could not um she couldn't be in the room because um you know we were both careful not to hurt each other but we were he really wanted to take it to the edge um, and i learned to say ow before anything hurts and then he would you know he would pull back and stop when i uh when i said out but he was really strong and he knew karate and um but it was a higher intensity wrestling um, than I had done with my daughter. Um, Mm. And um, I think we really, you know, we used that kind of uh, play. It was still playful. It wasn't violent, you know, Mm -hmm. we weren't out to hurt each other, but um, it really kind of got to know each other better, the deeper, deeper level through that. 
That's beautiful. I love that. Um, well, thank you so much. I just want to thank you for, yeah, you, you know, everyone should go out. It, Playful Parenting is 20 years old, but it's yeah. perfectly just appropriate for <laughs> this day and age. Um, and I highly recommend it. And I just want to thank you, Lauren, for Lawrence, for not only coming on the Mindful Mama podcast, but for also like doing this work, for laying it out there, for telling us like how we can be more playful. It's not that obvious, to some <laughs> us, especially when we're so stressed out about getting it right. And, yeah. and that playfulness can seep in slowly over time, you know, that attitude. And I, and, and I think that um, I've been incredibly influenced by the work you've done and, and it's, it's really helped. I'm so many people around the world. So I just want to thank you for, for uh, what you've done and thank you for, for coming on and talking to us today. Uh, thanks, Hunter. It's been a pleasure talking to you and um, greetings to everyone listening. Happy playing. What a light in the world, isn't he? I love how Lawrence talks about how we need to lighten up, right? Like this is so important. We need to bring that sense of lightness, right? We have to live what we want our kids to learn. Oh, it's so, so always so true. If you love this episode, please do me a favor, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at mindful mama mentor. And you might as well follow me there and fill your feed with mindful parenting inspiration that will support you in your social media wanderings. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. I wish you more peace and presence and joy with your kids this week than ever before. And remember, you can always, always begin anew. I can't wait to connect with you again next week. Talk to you then. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. 
it will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the wait list so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.